Amen. Hey, we are again in our topic, world religions, cults, and the occult is the study number 10, Bobby. Seventh-day Adventist, you are right. Now, as you turn there uh, towards the last page of our study, the history, William Miller, he started all a date setter, but at least uh, he admitted he was wrong. Well, they wanted to keep it going, so that unfortunately began to spawn a whole bunch of different cults. That led to one of the cults called the Seventh-day Adventist, which is our topic tonight. We saw the three big uh, linchpins, if you will, of Seventh-day Adventism was a gentleman named Mr. Bates, Mr. White, who married a lady named Ellen. Her name changed to Ellen White. You guys are on the ball when it comes to marital tradition. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Let me do the hand thing again when we get there, because I'm almost there on that salvation part uh, in our recap. That's a brilliant point from Pastor Tom. We'll get to that in a second. But Seventh-day Adventists, then we began to take a look at what they're a cult. And the people say, especially this one, they say, oh, come on, that's pretty strong words. Well, we took a look at the definition. How do you know you're involved in a cult? Somebody's t- uh, uh, teaching something out of a cult. Well, it comes down to five things. Their source of authority we already dealt with. Their version of God and the Trinity, which is messed up because there's a source of authority is messed up. Okay, they get it wrong. Then, of course, on Jesus high, uh, Christ, it all spills downhill. Nature of man and salvation. Now, as we left off last time, we were into the thing called the Great Controversy, and this is really what the Seventh Day Adventists are relying upon. It is not a grace salvation; it is a work salvation. It is based on their own works, based on this vision, one of the many visions that Ellen White supposedly had. This is the particular one she had for two hours at a funeral, which is creepy enough as it is. And out of that came the great controversy. And basically, what supposedly God told her, which we know is not from God because it contradicts God's word, the Bible, right? Was that basically, you need to keep the Old Testament law, you need to do all these things, and you need to uh, live the perfect life, which is impossible, in order to get to heaven, right? And that they believe that our sins, instead of, as the scripture teaches, were done away by Jesus on the cross, and it's already done, they say, no, they are stacking up in heaven, supposedly in the temple in heaven, right? And heaven is, of course, supposed to be a place, and this is Pastor Tom's point last week, right? That heaven, obviously, is a place without what? Sin. Sin. And how ironic it is that they say that there really is a heaven, and that, but yet somehow they say that our sins are being stacked up in heaven. Do you get the profound point? Yeah. And so that's another good one. Uh, a brilliant point uh, from Pastor Tom. But that's where we left off was the great controversy. This is why they're cold, because they're trusting in works to get them to heaven, not the work of Jesus Christ, right? So that's the classic one. Now, we're going to build onto that, and we're going to demonstrate to you, again, outside the great controversy issue that we saw last time, right, that you've got to do all these things in order to uh, prove that you're worthy to get into heaven. And even then, you don't even know, remember, because you're supposed to go into this soul sleep thing, and you know, then the, you get judged later by your works. It's completely wrong. We're going to continue on that aspect tonight. Now, where we left off with says, keeping the Old Testament law, the Sabbath, is in your workbook there. Right? Now, what does that mean? That basically means you got to what? Earn your way to heaven. And this is the core of their teaching. So how in the world could anybody sit there? Why would you even reject this? They clearly say that you're getting there by your own works, and here's the works you got to do, right? And they pull it out of uh, miscontext of the Old Testament on top of that, okay? But how could you say that's like Christianity? It, it just blows me away, but let's, let's go on. According to the SDA, right, Seventh-day Adventist, anyone who is a supposed believer is to be under strict adherence of what? Old Testament law. Is that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely not, including the Ten Commandments, okay? That is not true. We are under grace, not under law, right? As we're going to see in great detail. As opposed to the blessing, which is grace, what they are doing to people, right, is they are putting people under a 
curse. This is a curse upon people that they're preaching. Did, did you know that? Now, I didn't say that God did, and I'll get to that in just a second, okay? While the law itself is perfect and holy, okay, it is. Is there anything wrong with God's law? No, all of his commands are right. What's the problem? We can't keep it. We can't keep it perfectly, right? Which means we can't get to heaven on our own. And what is the curse about it then isn't the law. It's our penalty that we receive for not being able to keep it, which means you're going to hell. That's a curse. So why would you preach to somebody something that can never work? That's what they're doing. And it's clearly in their teaching that you have to keep adherence to the Old Testament laws, including keeping the Sabbath and the dietary laws. We'll get to that in just a second. That is not a blessing. That is a curse. Now, this is primarily what the whole book of Galatians is about. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, right? And Paul was blown away uh, by these uh, Christians and a false teacher had come in apparently, right, and says, oh, no, 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 now you got to go back to the Old Testament law. Just like if a Seventh-day Adventist came knocking at your door, you're a Christian, oh, yeah, 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 oh, but you got to keep the old, it's the same thing going on 2,000 years later. They just repackage it. Okay, via Ellen G. White and these false visions. But let's take a look at Galatians chapter 3, right? We're going to read verses 1 through 14 just to grab the context there. Galatians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians. There we go. Galatians chapter 3, let's take a look. And uh, here's what he says. You incredible Galatians, you have a truth that nobody else has known because you got hit in the head with a rock as a little child. Oh, I'm sorry. No, what? what Oh, yes, that's right, John. Wrong translation. You foolish, right? Uh, there's a negative word before. It's the word like, uh, uh, that means mind or thinking. And there's a negative uh, in front of ah. Okay, so basically it means no thinking, no brain. It's not a nice term. He's in you bunch of no-brainers. This is a no-brainer. I can't believe I'm having this discussion with you. You foolish Galatians, he says. What is going on with you? Who has bewitched you? Right? Literally, almost kind of in a mystical sense, put a spell on you, right? What's, what's going on here? This is crazy. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by what? Observing the law, which is what Seventh-day Adventists preach. So if that's true, we should expect him to say, you're right. What's he say, though? No. Or by believing what you heard, meaning you heard the gospel, you receive it by faith. It's not by your works, it's by the work of Jesus Christ. Are you, exact same word, are you so foolish? I'm saying it again, you guys are being a bunch of no-brainer. This is a no-brainer. You're checking your brain at the door. How could you do this? He said, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by what? Human effort? Isn't that what Seventh-day Adventists say? Oh, it's Jesus, but you gotta keep it going. You gotta, that's human effort. I'm just quoting Bible. Paul dealt with this heresy that it's Jesus and the Old Testament law, which is not the gospel, as far back as with the Galatians. And it's being repackaged today under Seventh-day Adventists, and it's being given basically a free pass, right? It is the same old lie. And he goes on to say, he says, have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and works of miracles among you because you observe the law? What's the answer? No. Or because you believe what you heard. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify who? The Gentiles. That's us. Anybody that's not a Jew, right? By what? Old Testament law? No, by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith, 
right? They're trusting their faith in Christ, not their works, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, all who rely on observing the law are under a what? So if anybody comes to you, including the Seventh-day Adventist or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, you name it, anybody says, but it's Jesus, but you got to keep this, you got this set and the dietary and the... They're trying to preach a curse on you. Now, I'm not saying this is God's words. You are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, right? Because if you're going to put yourself under that, you've got to obey the whole thing. What's the problem? We can't. Clearly, no one then, he says, is justified uh, before God by the law. How do you get around that? So why are you preaching this? This is not from the Lord. Because the righteous will live by faith, not by works. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things, you're going to have to live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse, he says it again, of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentile, you and I, through Christ Jesus, so that by what? Faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit, not of the law. Now, jump forward real quick to 24. And so then what was the purpose of the law? Again, the problem isn't the law. The law, as Paul says in Romans, is holy. It's righteous. It's just. Of course, it came from God. God's law is holy. The problem, the reason why it's a curse, is because we can't keep the law. And that's what we need to own up to. So why does God still put the law out there? Listen, 24, so the law was put charge to what? To lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by what? Faith. The law, our inability to keep it, when you say, man, I can't even keep the Ten Commandments, right? Should what? Should drive you to the common sense conclusion, I need a Savior. I need somebody to save me. I can't get there. Are you kidding me? I can't even keep the Ten. There's, he could... It's to drive you to Christ so that you're justified by trying to live like Christ? No, then why do we need Christ? To be justified by faith. So that's what they're doing. It's a false gospel. It's a works-based gospel. Nothing new. It's just been repackaged. But in essence, they're not helping anybody. They're putting people under a curse, okay, is what the Scripture says. Okay, there's no way. We can't even keep the first one. How many guys love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength every single day perfectly? Don't raise your hand because then you're going to get guilty of the ninth commandment called lying. I'm just trying to help you. Okay. No, we can't even keep the first one, right? We can't even make it past one, right? Okay. And so that's why, again, you try to live that way, it's not going to be a good way. But that's what they're doing. They're putting people under curse. Now, let's continue on. The SDA publicly states its belief that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, publicly, that's what they say. That's what they said to Mr. Walter Martin. That's what they said because they desperately don't want to be labeled as a cult. Well, I'm sorry, your teachings, your behavior, your actions uh, reveal the story. However, SDA teaching often implies that certain outward acts of righteousness are necessary to maintain. There's your blank there. Maintain one's assurance of salvation. Even then you still don't know because you're going into this soul sleep, they say. And then hopefully we'll find out supposedly in a future day as Jesus gets done going through the big giant line. Okay, uh, but especially the observance of what? The seventh day Sabbath. Now, wait a second. The Bible says if you put yourself under the law, you're obligated to obey the whole law. So why are you cherry picking? Why are you saying it's just the dietary laws and it's just these certain commandments and it's just uh, keeping the Sabbath, meaning worshiping on Saturday? And I'll get to this second. Sabbath keeping was a whole lot more than that. They're not even doing that, what they're supposed to be doing, according to that. But what about the priesthood? How come you don't have the priest come back? That's part of the law. 
How come we don't have all these other things going on, right? Are you sacrificing every week? You're bringing up sheep, and you got it all itemized, depending on what sin, and you, get, you, don't, you don't got the money, then bring, you know, a couple, you know, pigeons, and, or whatever, turtle doves, or whatever, you know, just, are you doing any of that stuff? Why are you cherry-picking? The Bible says if you're going to put yourself under that law, you've you got to obey the whole thing. So that's a whole other issue, right? And, of course, that's what cults do. They cherry-pick, okay? SDA members are also expected to observe strict dietary regulations, right? Uh, how, how faithful was Ellen with that? Remember her son calling out to the meat wagon? Mom wants chicken! <laughs> Come on. You didn't even do it yourself. But that's what you're supposed to do. And to abstain from alcohol, drugs, and tobacco. Now, who does that sound like? That's Mormons, man. That's just another cult. That's, it's, all, it's always works-based. Cults are works-based. You get the authority wrong, and everything goes downhill from there. Right, uh, And then ultimately, you get the wrong way to heaven because you're not trusting solely in Christ. It's the same thing. Now, here's what she said. Now, let's, we're going to focus on the Sabbath. And when they talk Sabbath, that means you've got to worship on Saturday. But I'm telling you, it's a lot more than that. But you tell me from their own words that they're not trusting in the Old Testament system, specifically worshiping on Saturday, keeping, quote, the Sabbath as means to get them to heaven, which is a works, which is an Old Testament. We just read the scripture says that's a curse. You can't do it. What are you doing? Don't be foolish. Ellen White taught clearly that Sabbath observance was a criterion for salvation. And let's just quote what she said. In the, in the last days, this is from her great controversy, right? In the last days, the Sabbath test will be made plain. When this time comes, anyone who does not keep the Sabbath will receive the mark of the beast and will be kept from heaven. What? So just worshiping on a Saturday or whatever... That's the only thing you got to get you? Is that trusting in the work of Christ? No, this is her own words, right? Uh, she also goes on. The divine institution of the Sabbath is to be restored. The delivering of this message will precipitate a conflict that will involve the whole world. The central issue will be obedience to God's law, the Old Testament, which Paul says, can't do it, that's a curse, right? And the observance of the Sabbath, right? So the Old Testament legalism and the Sabbath, right? Those who reject it will eventually receive the mark of the beast. Another quote. I saw that the Holy Sabbath, she said, is and will be the separating wall between the true Israel of God and the unbelievers, right? They will come to you and I, the Seventh-day Adventists, and they'll say, oh, we're Christians, right? And they kind of trump to us. But in the back of their heads, you know how they're looking at us? These people have received the mark of the beast. They're not even saved. And, and we're supposed to say, hey, we're Christians, let's all get up. Don't think so. One more. She said, quote, Sabbath observance was of sufficient importance to draw a line between the people of God and unbelievers. Right? So according to her, what is she trusting in? What is she teaching? She's teaching a works-based salvation, which is not salvation. That you have to keep the Old Testament law, including the dietary laws and the Sabbath. Again, they cherry-pick, and even the Bible says, if you're going to do it, you've got to do the whole thing. You can't cherry-pick. But whatever, they're clearly not trusting solely in the work of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what he says. The quoted statements above are clear. According to the SDA, Sabbath observance, not trusting Christ alone for complete forgiveness of sins and eternal life, is to be the dividing line between the saved and the lost in the end time. That's it. Their own words, and that's exactly what it is. Now, again, as I said before, as far as the term there, Sabbath keeping, that they want to keep, oh, it's got to be a Sabbath keeper, got to keep the Sabbath, got to keep the Sabbath. There was a lot more going on in the Jewish mind when it came to keeping the Sabbath. It wasn't just showing up on a Saturday to a religious service. 
It was a whole lot more. We've talked about this before, way back in our study at the beginning of Judaism. How many of you guys remember that? Praise God, you're not lying again tonight. That's two for two, right? Uh, let me repeat that, right? So it isn't just, I've got to show up to a religious service on Saturday and refrain from pork. Sabbath keeping, according to the Old Testament, way more. Listen, uh, the Jewish people came up with a list of 39 main tasks. Okay, by the way, oh, the whole Jewish law, there was over 600 commands, right? But this is just on the Sabbath, related to the Sabbath on Saturday, right? 39 main tasks which could not be performed on the Sabbath. So, Seventh-day Adventists, are you doing all these things? Right? This list included sowing seed, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, winnowing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, bleaching or dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, tying or untying a knot, sewing stitches, tearing apart two stitches, hunting, writing, or erasing two letters, building, demolishing, kindling, or extinguishing a fire, hammering, carrying objects from one place to another, and so on and so forth. So Sabbath keeping is a whole lot more than just show up on a Saturday to a Seventh-day Adventist meeting, more than that. Now, obviously, the Jewish people, like dare I say, the Seventh-day Adventists are also being hypocritical, right? The Jewish people worked in loopholes, okay, and exceptions. Let me give you a couple examples. For example, a person on the Sabbath was not allowed to prepare food, okay, or go on a journey on the Sabbath. If they had to walk, they could only walk for a maximum of 3,000 feet, which is about two-thirds of a mile. That's it. Listen to this. Okay, but the guidelines stated that the journeys could be divided up by meals. So here's how they cheated. So on Friday, they would go and they would deposit a meal at somebody's place two-thirds mile away. And then on the Sabbath, they could walk the required two-thirds, but aha, they had a meal, so that means they can go another two-thirds of a mile. Same thing, bunch of baloney that goes on today, okay? And so technically, they can go twice as far with this loophole solution and not break the Sabbath, right? Let me give you another one. Another one, we talked about this before, and it became illegal to spit on the Sabbath. Why? Because that's so crass and that's, well, no. Spitting isn't work, but plowing is work. And plowing was defined as moving dirt to make a trench or a furrow. So therefore, spitting in the dirt said, because of it using force, trajectory, hitting the dirt that it might make when it hits the ground with force, a small trench or furrow, therefore be considered plowing, which make it illegal. <laughs> You're going to keep it? You've got to keep the whole thing. Right? And another one with this is it, under this pressure, listen to this. The worst part of all this, this is what Jesus dealt with when he appeared on the scene in his first coming. And who were the king of these kind of this baloney behavior, Pharisees, right? And they looked down on the people, oh, they were so incredible, they were just awesome, right? And nobody was as religious as them. And what do you say? Oh, you look good on the outside, but inside you're a bunch of dead man's bones, man. You hypocrites, you brood of vipers, right? Because why? Because, listen, the punishment for breaking these Sabbath day laws that they came up with was not imprisonment, not fine, not even a sacrifice extra in the temple. It was death. If you violate it, you're going to get the death penalty. Right? Now that's serious stuff. Okay? And that's why Jesus, he had choice words for the Pharisees. He says, you're a stumbling block to the true way to God. Right? Because it's a bunch of works. You can't get there. But boy, they had their list. Now, now today, let's talk about modern Judaism because they do the same thing. So Seventh-day Adventists, nothing new. Right? You're just repackaging it. Right? And another false teaching. A modern Jewish scholar, the guy's name's uh, Yahashua Nurith, 
He wrote a several-volume work, in case you're wondering, called A Guide to the Practical Observance of the Sabbath. So again, Seventh-day Adventist, you're going to be a Sabbath keeper. It's much more than just Saturday. Uh, he said it's a, uh, a several-volume work, and here are some of his instructions that he encourages the modern Jewish person to do today. Now, cookings, apparently cooking in most forms, which would be boiling, roasting, baking, frying, Ruth, act, okay, is forbidden on the Sabbath. Uh, especially when the temperature is raised above 115 degrees specifically. So apparently you keep it 114 below, you're cool. But that's your actual rule. Listen, today, this is why. If the hot water tap is accidentally left on, it cannot be turned off on the Sabbath. There goes your water bill. Escaping gas may be turned off, okay, but not in the normal way. And I quote, one must turn off the tap of the gas burner with the back of the hand or the elbow. One, listen, one cannot squeeze on the Sabbath a lemon into a glass of iced tea, but you can squeeze lemon onto a piece of fish. Since Exodus 34.3 teaches that one cannot light a fire on the Sabbath, right, it is also wrong to, still to this day, to turn on your electric lights, right? So if you need to turn on the lights, you can get an automatic timer, which will do the job for you, and they do use them in Israel today. Can you believe that? Talk about a loophole. Oh, this is another one. So to an air conditioner. An air conditioner cannot be turned on. This is wild. By a Jew on the Sabbath. Although a Gentile can turn it on. But as long as the Jew does not explicitly ask him to turn it on. So I'm sitting there. They've probably got all these facial techniques working out. Like they look at their Gentile buddy. Hey, Ralph. crazy you cannot bathe with a bar of soap on the sabbath but you can use liquid soap right now this is wild listen to this one how could you remember all this stuff and that's what jesus is saying this is stumbling blocks they still do it today right because they've rejected jesus as the messiah and they're not under grace if someone is walking on the sabbath and discovers that they're carrying something in their pocket that they forgot was there uh-oh they have to stop carrying it immediately but now you're in a conundrum because of all these different rules but at the same time, Jews are not allowed to lift anything on the Sabbath. Okay, so now what am I going to do? Right? You create a black hole and you get sucked in. <laughs> no. But at the same time, you can't lift anything on the Sabbath. So a person, though, is not allowed to simply take the item out of their pocket. So you're, what are you going to do? In order to get it out, he has to reverse his pocket so the item falls out. And then he must leave it there on the ground. But now I've got another problem. If the item is valuable and he does not wish to leave it on the ground, once again, Ralph. He can ask a Gentile to watch it for him. Or if you must take the item with you, all right, we, you can carry it, but, but not in the usual way. You can put it in your shoe or tie it to your leg as long as you do not tie a knot or somehow suspend it between your clothing and your body. And somehow that's going to get you into heaven. No different folks in Seventh-day Adventists with their rules. As goofy as it is. Right? Christ shows that the Sabbath was never intended to be a legalistic burden in the first place. And that's what the Jewish people made it into. That's what the Hebrew Roots Movement still does to this day. We dealt with before in the Judaism study. That's what the Seventh-day Adventists do as well. Luke chapter 6. Now it happened on the Sabbath, the second Sabbath after the first, that he, Jesus, went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked heads of grain and ate them 
and rubbed them in his hands. And some of the Pharisees said to him, what are you doing? What is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answered, have you not read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, he took and he ate the showbread and also gave some to those that were with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, listen, the Son of Man, Jesus, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? He makes up the rules. And Mark 2, he tells us what was the original purpose that got the Jewish people and Seventh-day Adventists still to this day get off track. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was to be a blessing to us, not a burden that they've turned it in with all their loopholes and regulations and this and subset C. If you define yourself in this, it's crazy. But that's what they are uh, trusting into this well. But let's, let's get back to that. Okay, let's just focus on that day thing. Because So that's the irony, that's the hypocrisy, really. Is you say, we've got to be a Sabbath keeper. Seventh-day Adventist, we've got to keep the Sabbath. Well, there's a lot more going on than just showing up for a day, right? Can we agree? And that's just quoting the Bible, and that's quoting, of course, Jewish customs even to this day. Now, let's get back to that day thing, okay? Is it illegal for us to worship Jesus on Sunday? No. In fact, does God require us to worship on specifically Saturday no, and let me quote to that, Colossians 2, 16 through 17, Paul says, therefore don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, including dietary laws, right? Or with regard to religious festivals, we don't have to keep those like the Jewish people did, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. He says it right here. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in who? Christ. Right, is the whole point. Paul states this, Romans 14, 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The whole point is, you're missing the whole point. You're not to be hung up about a day, right? We have freedom in Christ, okay? In fact, if Sabbath keeping was so important, remember in the book of Acts with the early church? Acts is a transitional book. The people were living it live. We got 2,000 years of hindsight 2020 looking back at the New Testament versus the Old Testament. They were living it live. Acts is that transitional book where they're going from the Old Testament. Whoa, Jesus, now it's the New Covenant. And, and so the Acts describes that transition point where they're getting used to, wow, even the Gentiles can get saved. And it's now not of trying to keep the law. We couldn't do that anyway. And, but now it's through Christ. Right? It's a, now, in that book, the early church had a meeting in Acts chapter 15. And in that meeting, the Jewish Christians, right, were wondering about all these Gentiles now getting saved through the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And they're going like, well, but they don't, they haven't been raised in the Old Testament. And what do we, how do we, we, can we really? And and so basically this is, listen, we're all Christians now. That's Paul's great statement again back uh, also in Galatians, that we're all one in Christ, through Christ. There's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Greek nor slave. We're all one in Christ. Right? And so they're just basically trying to keep the peace. Right? And they said, out of that meeting, listen, they said, here's the only thing we can come up with. Right? And the Bible says that, listen, here's what we're going to tell these Gentiles. We're going to write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled, from the animals uh, made with blood. Okay? Now, if Sabbath keeping was so incredibly important for us to keep today, and certainly as Seventh-day Adventists falsely teach that it is an indicator who's going to heaven and who's not, it would have been right there. Why was it not included? Because that's not how you get there. Okay. In fact, by the way, including the book of Acts, whenever a meeting is mentioned being on the Sabbath, guess who's meeting at that time? The Jewish people and or the Gentile converts to Judaism, which means non-Christians. Non-Christians, 
Jewish people or Jewish converts who were not saved meet. We're meeting on the Sabbath, okay, in the scripture. And by the way, when did the early Christians meet in the first place? Well, first of all, again, just like Paul reiterated in Romans, it's not about the day. You're missing the whole point. And I quote Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. What's the ex- example right out of the gates? He, and I quote the phrase, every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were getting saved. So at the birth of the church, when are they meeting? Man, people are getting saved right and left. Can you believe that? We have 3,000 people get saved today. All right, see you next week. We can't do nothing. We got to wait. No, man, they're just living it live. What Paul saying in Romans 12? Hey, live your life as a living sacrifice. This is your holy, acceptable worship to God. It's living for Jesus 24-7 technically is the Christian life. That's holy and pleasing to God. It's not about a day. Don't let anybody judge you about that, Paul says. Right? That's the context. Right? So I said, all that to get to this. So it's not even about a day since Christ, period. But if there was a day, what we see in the scripture that it was not Saturday, it was Sunday. Okay, we see this throughout the scripture, the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. And let me just give you a couple scriptures, references. Acts 27 and 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Acts 20 says, on the first day of the week, Sunday, we came in together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people because he was intended to leave the next day, and he continued to talk. For, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, Sunday... Okay, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made, okay? In honor of Christ's resurrection, Christians worship Christ on Sunday. Still not to be hung up on the day. There's liberty. The whole point is, and boy, do we see that today. People show up for Sunday. What's the phrase? It's so unfortunately common today. Yeah, you go to church service on Sunday, but you send up a storm six days a week. You act like a devil, right? Well, those people are missing the point. You're supposed to worship Christ every day, right? But, But traditionally, dare I say the biblical model, even though you shouldn't even necessarily even get hung up a day, is Sunday, not Saturday, is what we see there, okay? Oh, and by the way, where do we get this from? The Bible. What's their accusation? Oh, no, this is a conspiracy. Constantine, he brought this into the church. It was always Saturday until he showed up. Uh, no, no, the Roman Catholic Church, they're the ones who switched it on Sunday. They worship the sun god. Uh, no, no, I'm just quoting Bible. So you can forget all that, right? And that's not where we get it from. Jesus rose from the dead the first day of the week. Jesus appeared to the disciples the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost the first day of the week. The first sermon preached by Peter was on the first day of the week. 3,000 converts joined the church the first day of the week. 3,000 were baptized the first day of the week. Christians assembled, broke bread on the first day of the week. Christians also heard the message from Paul the first day of the week. Paul instructed the churches to put aside contributions the first day of the week. And Jesus gave the apostle John the vision of the revelation the first day of the week. So this has come from the Bible. It's not make believe, it's not a conspiracy. Shouldn't get hung up a day, and that day certainly is not going to determine your salvation because that's works and that's not how you get there, right? So that's what they say. Now, at the top of the last page there, concerning the Christian's relationship to the law of Moses, because that's what they're preaching, right? Christians are not under the Mosaic law because Christ is the end of the law. That's your blank there, end of the law, to everyone who believes. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, Romans 10.4. Christians are also number two. They're not under the Mosaic law because they've died to the law, the scripture says. Christ is the end of the law 
Christ has died to the law. Romans 7, 6. But now we have been released from the law. So then why do you keep preaching? Christ, we are now been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Christians are not under the Mosaic law because of the new covenant. By definition of a new covenant, which means contract, New Testament, whatever you want to call it, means the, there was an old one, which is old, meaning obsolete, which means you got a new one, which is why he called it new. Man, you guys are brilliant scholars tonight. This is amazing, right? So we got a new covenant. Such confidence, 2 Corinthians 3, such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not your works, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from who? God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, the Old Testament law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Number four, Christians are not under the Mosaic law because of the change in the priesthood. Right? For them, Hebrews 7, for when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there is a place that takes a change of the law also. Who's our high priest now? Forever. Jesus Christ. There's a change. And Brian's teaching on that. Uh, Sunday mornings in the book of Hebrews. Christians are also, another one, are not under the Mosaic law because Paul taught that he was not under the law. He does say to the Jews, 1 Corinthians 9, to the Jews I became a Jew so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law. Did you catch that? Right? So that I might win those who are under the law. Right? So if I go to a Jewish person's house, I'm not going to show up, hey, let's all go to the bacon bar. No, I'll eat their kosher food, whatever. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Say, man, I sure wish I had some bacon sauce on. You know, I'm not going to make a big deal. I'm not going to make a big scene. Right? So I, 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 I submit to that. I'm not saying that's how you get to heaven. I'm not doing any of that stuff. But I'm trying to enter into their world to lead them to Christ. And, that, and that's all Paul's saying. Hey, that's, that's what I did. Those people, who th- you think you're legalist? Okay, fine. I'll show up at your house and, okay, I'll eat salad right now i'm not saying that that's earning me way down i'm not saying i'm just trying to reach you for christ that's all he's saying but he clearly says i'm not under the law now listen to this statement and this is the nutshell based on the doctrines of the remnant church some Adventists, what they call themselves the investigative judgment their false teaching and the additions to salvation by keeping the law this seventh day adventist must be considered a what cult you're right so why is it that people give them such a free pass and why is it that people fight you on this i don't get it it's wild okay is going on today let me give you a summary statement okay they must be defined as a cult let's just wrap this baby up adventism's worldview let me just give you a little bit recap depends on the extra biblical writings of ellen white and their continuing and authoritative source of truth teaches a different Jesus, one who is not mighty God, the I am, but a diminished one who took man's fallen nature, had a sin nature, they say, remember that, was on probation, could have sinned, thus threatening the existence of the cosmos and God himself. They falsify the identity and person of God by equating his character with the law. They give Satan illegitimate power and freedom. They claim that God is obligated to answer Satan. They say that Christ's atonement was not finished at the cross, but continues through their alleged controversy. They replace Jesus as our total substitute with Jesus simply our example. They replace Jesus with Satan as the scapegoat, who ultimately uh, bears away the sins of the saved. They falsify the nature of man by denying the human spirit. They claim the righteousness of God is 
obedience from the Ten Commandments, which we can't keep. They substitute the new birth of the Holy Spirit with conversion to Adventism and law-keeping. They say salvation depends on our knowledge of good and evil to inform the right choice. And they replace the Lord Jesus as the test of faith with loyalty to Adventist teachings as the acid test. Although Adventists, listen, use all the words Christian use when referring to God and salvation. Once again, what have we learned? With every cult, you got to get behind the veneer. They internally mean different definitions established by Ellen White, great controversy, all that other stuff. They believe that their replication of Jesus' obedient character will finally bring this controversy to an end. That's what they rely on. And so as one guy said this, he said, instead of trusting the finished work of Christ, they are striving to finish the work of Christ, which is blasphemy. When he said it's finished, it's finished. Right? He said somehow they misunderstand Christ's last words. It is finished. Right? But let me share with you uh, a former Seventh-day Adventist pastor was basically kicked out because apparently he was reading the Bible. Right? But here's what he says they're really relying on, and it's not grace. Let's take a look. Mark Martin is currently pastor of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. He is a former Seventh-day Adventist pastor who resigned after being forced by the Adventist authorities to choose between the teachings of Ellen G. White and the Bible. Ellen G. White stressed the keeping of the letter of the law along with many added rules to put one on the road to salvation. She had no patience with Christians who dared to say, I am saved. We are never to rest in a satisfied condition saying, I am saved. They pervert the truth. They declare that we have only to believe on Jesus Christ and that faith is all sufficient, that the righteousness of Christ is to be the sinner's credentials. This class claim that Christ came to save sinners and that he has saved them, but are they saved? No. The Adventist view of salvation is that Jesus made the down payment for our salvation at the cross. But once you've accepted his offer of salvation, you've got to keep making up the monthly installments. So not really relying upon the grace of God alone to save them, Adventists are striving to be rigidly obedient. And this makes for an inflexible, guilt-ridden, legalistic lifestyle. Despite modern Adventist attempts to soften law-keeping, Ellen White's teachings are unmistakable. No one is saved who is a transgressor of the law of God. Yet the Bible teaches that we are under a new covenant and the old covenant is obsolete. Christ is the end of the law. The New Testament teaches that the law was given by God to be our tutor or teacher leading us to Christ. Listen to what Galatians 3.25 says. It says, we are no longer under a tutor. Christians are to grow in grace and keep God's commandments out of a love for Him, not under compulsion. Salvation by grace through faith alone is the heart of the gospel. But the Adventist doctrine of the 1844 investigative judgment colors all their major doctrines. It was because of this false teaching, also known as the pre-Advent judgment, which amounts to nothing more than a judgment of works which determines salvation, that the unbiblical doctrine of soul sleep was introduced. Obviously, you couldn't have believers going to heaven when they died before their lives were supposedly judged. What if they hadn't been good enough? They'd have to leave heaven, right? So the Adventists teach that when a person dies, he or she goes into the grave, into non-existence. 
But this teaching flies in the face of the scriptures which clearly state that to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8. And when a believer dies, he departs and is with Christ, Philippians 1.23. Which means you're not taking the big cosmic nap. But do you see why they came up with another false teaching to cover their other false teaching? Because, and that's what happens. You tell a lie and you got this one to cover that and then somehow you mesh it all back together. Right? Because if there's supposed to be this future judgment, right, that's supposed to determine your uh, place, what happens to when you die? Can't happen in heaven, or you'd have to get kicked out if you weren't good enough, according to them. Obviously, it's a bunch of false teaching, right? So that's where they came up with the term soul slip. So obviously, are they trusting in Christ or works? Works, okay? So do they have the same salvation? The one and only salvation in the Bible? So guess what? They are, by definition, their own teachings, their own words of cult. Right? Five for five. They get them all wrong. That's a classic sign. You're in a cult. So that's why we're going to finish up. You say, ha ha, you're doomed. Ha ha, slam the door in their face. No, we witness to them just like anybody else. Right? And so before there's some aspects here we're going to cover very quickly, I wanted to highlight uh, some of those people that you might need to be reaching out to. Okay? And some of those people that are popular out there who are Seventh-day Adventists and you may not even know you might know some people who are listening to these people or tuning into these programs and they're being indoctrinated in this false teaching, right? So I'm going to call out some big names and we're going to get into the witnessing real quick here. Now, the first guy is this guy, Doug Batchelor, probably one of the famous ones uh, out there today. He's actually uh, from where I, uh, the area I got saved from in Sacramento uh, in California, Northern California. And he hosts a big, giant program. You might have heard of it before. It's called Amazing Facts. Right? Amazing facts. Here's another thing there. You might see some of their logos. It's all over their lot and it's in print. Amazing facts. They'll talk about prophecy and stuff. It's not Christian. It's Seventh-day Adventist. So you see amazing facts. You see Doug Batchelor. That's what you're getting. Okay. And again, these guys, they broadcast it on satellite 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is a huge ministry, but it's Seventh-day Adventism is what they're uh, preaching. Okay. And so I just want you to be aware of that guy that uh, ministry, Amazing Facts. But that's the tip of the iceberg. Let me give you some other uh, well-known, I'm sure there's some other ones, I don't recognize all of them, but I'll just share with you the ones that I recognize in our society today. So watch out for that. That is not from God. Uh, Devon Franklin, he's the vice president of Columbia Pictures, is a Seventh-day Adventist. Angus T. Jones, he's the child actor who played Jake Harper on Two and a Half Men, the little boy, he's a Seventh-day Adventist. Philip McDonald, he's the medical doctor analyst for the NBA uh, TV. Harry Anderson, he was a famous um, uh, illustrator for Saturday Evening Post and Red Book, Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, by the way, he did artwork not only for the Seventh-day Adventist, uh, but for Mormons as well. So a little tie there. Uh, Busta Rhymes, American rapper. Uh, so he's a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, later converted to Islam. Uh, Casey Chambers, she's an Australian country singer. Uh, she's a former Seventh-day Adventist. Praise God to her credit, her family rejected eventually the investigative judgment thing. So apparently they came out of that. Uh, Wayne Hooper, I wanted to call this one out. He is the musical director of another program called Voice of Prophecy. This is a big radio program. You may have heard of it. It is not Christian. It is Seventh-day Adventism through and through. Now, they have some programs, not just the Voice of Prophecy, right? And they have a program called Disclosure. Uh, they have another one that's for kids called Discovery Mountain. So be, beware. Uh, they have some websites None of these are Christian. This is Seventh-day Adventist. BibleStudies.com. How many people are being snookered with that one? 
Seventh-day Adventism, BibleInfo.com, KidsBibleInfo.com. So they went out, and if anything, got smart and snagged these domain names, and they're using it to promote that. They have hundreds of radio stations. They have a, what's called Life Talk Radio, okay? Uh, 3AB in uh, uh, radio networks, okay? What's the 3AB in? That's the Three Angels broadcast. Remember the Three Angels thing, right? That, that's what, that was Ellen G. White's uh, supposed interpretation of the Three Angels message, and that was the First Angels message, uh, supposedly there in Revelation, was to call us to worship our Creator God and recognize the hour of judgment. The second angel's message was to tell us the fate of Babylon. This is her vision, right? And the third angel, you know what he's telling everybody? That's right. You've got to keep the commandments of God. Well, it's not an angel from God. Okay, and then that's supposed to determine who's the remnant. Quote, the remnant would keep the commandments of God. Well, none of us can do that. But that's where they get the three ABN. It's the three angels broadcasting network after her little vision, in case you're wondering. So that is not a Christian network. It's a satellite network, but it's not Christian. Now, the Voice of Prophecy, they got two big speakers. I'm going to call them out. Pastor Sean Boonstra, his wife, Jean Boonstra. They're both speaking all over the place. Uh, let me just call out some ministries. If you're familiar and you stumble across them, there's too many. I can't name them all. I'm just hitting some ones that may be better known. Outpost Centers International, Generation of Youth for Christ, the Weimar Institute, uh, Desire Media, Quiet Hour Ministries, Evangelistic Alliance, Hope International, the Heartland Institute, and of course, who could forget Remnant Ministries. Remnant, because remember they think that they're the Remnant. Maranatha Volunteers, Pacific Press Publishing Association, that's their big publishing arm, a big one, that's all Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, Teach Services Incorporated, and again, the Three Angels Broadcasting Network is how they get this stuff out. They also have, listen, Safe TV, My Gospel Workers, It Is Written, not just Amazing Facts, you might have seen this one, Amazing Discoveries. Okay, Seventh-day Adventist, it's not Christian whatsoever. It Is Written, uh, White Horse Media, First Light Broadcasting Network, Radio of Hope, Home Base TV, Country Life Restaurants. You ever heard of those? Those are restaurants, it's a restaurant chain apparently, of, it's a vegan buffet and salad bar. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they're not kicking off too good. But uh, who do you think is one of the biggest ones pushing the vegan movement? It's PETA. They're always, well, PETA's pushing it, yeah. Yeah, the environmentalists are Seventh-day Adventists. And that's one of their tools to pull people in. Don't you want to be healthy? Remember that? We saw that back with Kellogg's, the cereal. It's the same thing they're doing today, okay? And Biblical Research Institute. That's got to be, no, that's Seventh-day Adventists if you run across that. The Isley Brothers. Seventh-day Adventists, you know that? Remember that song? You make me want to shout. shout. Yeah, you make me want to shout. Heresy. Okay, but anyway, so I'm for <laughs> Need to change the lyrics there. Little Richard. Oh, he's a Christian. He's a pastor now. He's a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, not Christian. Okay, and he gave his personal testimony on the 3ABN network. Okay, so don't get fooled by that. Brian McKnight, he was a celebrity apprentice guy. Seventh-day Adventist, a contestant. And I've actually shared this video before. I didn't know this. Wintley Phipps. Remember that guy? He was the guy that I shared, if you recall, he sang that amazing version of Amazing Grace. He's an ordained Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Busted my heart because, man, that was a beautiful version of that. But you know, how, you know how ironic that is? I'd almost want to show it again someday just to show the irony. You're singing that song, and that was probably one of the most beautiful, remember that video, beautiful renditions I've ever heard powerful and yet he really isn't by definition of a seventh-day adventist trusting in god's amazing grace 
Isn't that ironic? God's watching all this go down. And, of course, who could forget Ben Carson. I mean, the president's totally surrounded by Christians. They're all Christians. This is a mate. Are they all Christians? Ben Carson, of course, is a Seventh-day Adventist. We talked about that before. He was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist uh, home. He went to a Seventh-day Adventist school. His wife is also, obviously, a Seventh-day Adventist. He is what's called a lacto-ovo-vegetarian. Yes, I learned that myself too, Ruth, and that is this. He will eat dishes containing milk, eggs, or cheese, and occasionally, I quote, poultry. So what Ellen did. So apparently, Ben wants chicken, you know, like Ellen did. I don't know. <laughs> Can you believe that? And he finds, quote, eating pork highly unpleasant. He is full-blown Seventh-day Adventist, folks. He is not trusting in Christ, by definition of Seventh-day Adventism, as his Savior, which means he's not a Christian. I'm not saying he's not a nice guy. I'm not saying he's done great things. But guess what? Your own works and being nice doesn't get you to heaven. And by the way, he does not believe in hell, and he does not believe in the rapture. Oh, come on. Are you serious? Watch this coming out of his own mouth. I want to talk about your faith a little bit. You talk about God and as though God is kind of a buddy. You know, he's with you all the time. Yes. Explain God to me. Who or what is God to you? He's a force uh, that doesn't believe in dictating and gives you a choice whether you want to be associated with him or not. When the apocalypse comes, there supposedly is going to be a lot of tribulation. And certainly we have a lot of tribulation going on right now. No question. Would you say that this may be signs that... Could this qualify? Could this qualify could. as tribulation? Of course it could, yeah. And when you die... Um, well, I'm, I'm interested in the, how, di how this differs from the rapture. But with the rapture, you know, people are just like lifted away and taken to heaven. And I, I don't see any evidence for that in the Bible. I mean, you, you believe in heaven. I do believe in heaven, yes. Do you believe in hell? I, be I, I don't believe that there is a physical place uh, where people go and are tormented. No, I don't believe that. What is heaven then? Uh, heaven is where God is. Mm -hmm. And is it a physical place? I, th I believe so. And so if you're good, you go to heaven. And if you're bad, what happens? If there's no hell, you, do you just get annihilated? Is that... Pretty much. Yeah. And the whole interview, I watched the whole thing, never once did he correct her statement, and if you're good, you go to heaven. He didn't correct her. He just focused on, I reject hell which is Seventh-day Adventist teaching, Jehovah's Witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. So guess what? That's why we witness to these folks, right? Because most people don't know. They haven't done their homework. They haven't been discipled. They are not taught. And there's people out there that are being, oh, they're a Christian. They look like Christian. They said they're a Christian. Doesn't make you a Christian, right? Even in high places. So let's finish it up. Witnessing strategies, of course, is always, uh, what do we do? We sanctify our heart. We get prepared to give an answer. Make sure your heart's in the right place. Number two, we pray. This is a spiritual battle. Guess what? They're being spiritually blinded, right? No different than it was Paul dealing with the folks uh, in his day. 
The Spirit of God needs to touch their heart, remove the scale, the blindness. We need to pray. Number two, uh, three, give uh, ready with a good understanding of the Scriptures. That's why you're here, to get equipped, to get discipled. Don't argue, don't attack the person. Hey, Ben, I'm talking. No, witness to Ben, but you don't need to tear him down or anybody else. Just work with him, right? Make sure you define your words and don't get off on tangents, right? Don't sit there and say, I got this article. And according to the American Medical Association, these are the 9,322 health benefits for eating bacon. And you need to, that's probably a tangent. That's probably not their biggest need right now, is, right? It's just, okay. So don't get off on tangents. The important points are what? All these five things. And dare I say, if you wanted to hone in on one, this one, right? Because if you get your source of authority wrong, you're going to be dancing around the whole time because they're going to get, yeah, but Ellen G. White said, yeah, but the Seventh-day Adventists historically taught this. Is, you got it. Who's the source of truth? So don't get off on tangents, right? Got to clean up the bacon stuff later, right? right? If they get born again, you'll see that you're under grace, okay, etc. The important points focus on the source of authority, the nature of God, the person work of Jesus, the nature of man, and how do you get to heaven? Right? It's there. Avoid Christian jargon. It means nothing. All the Christianese. We don't even typically know what we're saying anyway when we do that. Share your testimony and your assurance of eternal life through Christ. Why? Because anybody, including the Seventh-day Adventists who are trying to get there with their works, they don't have assurance. And they really don't, even when they die. They don't even know what's going to happen the moment they die. I still don't know because I'm going to this giant nap. And what will I see after I wake? When finally Jesus gets caught up with that giant line. And my name. We have assurance. That's appealing to somebody who has none. Right? And an intimate walk with God right now. Who loves you. And you can have peace with Christ as Paul says right now. Right? Knowing that it's gone. It's clean. It's good. And, 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 and usually when you say it. It helps to smile. Because that's a good advertisement. Like you know Christian. That's not a good advertisement. Okay. Now, some specifics. Again, establish the sole authority of the Bible and determine what relationship the Advent has with Jesus Christ. Now, dare I say as we close, real quickly, you need to understand, like with any cult, Seventh-day Adventists are in a state of fear. They're in a cult. Colts keep people in under fear. The fear factor. Oh, don't you dare. You're doomed. You're going to blow up. You'll lose everything. You'll... Mormons done the same thing we saw. Jehovah's Witnesses did the same thing with their disfellowshipping and all that stuff. And you're doomed to hell. And, you know, all this. They are, Seventh-day Adventists are afraid. Let me call out some of the common fears that if you're witnessing to the Seventh-day Adventists, just, I'm not saying don't talk about certain things, but just understand who you're dealing with. They are scared to death. They may not show up, but they're scared. They are, first of all, fear of leaving the Sabbath. This is the, one of their core things, Right? They are afraid that you somehow you're going to get them off of that and they're doomed because the whole thing is wrapped around that. Because if I leave the Sabbath, I am going to, the second fear, they're going to receive the mark of the beast. That's what they're taught. That somehow if you, if you convince them that it's not Saturday, they're not just, oh no, not going to make it to heaven because now they're off base, but they're going to receive the mark of the beast. They're doubly doomed. They're also afraid of rejecting Ellen White. Why? Because we saw repeatedly, she didn't just come up with this with all due respect, baloney. But what did she do? She reinforced with fear. These are not the words of LNGY. These are the words of God. How dare you do? They're afraid of that. 
right? And so you need to understand, they're afraid of leaving the Adventist church because why? They're the remnant church. They're the only ones that have the truth. Uh, and don't, you know, that's all they've ever known, right? Uh, their fear of leaving, again, behind the teachings of Adventism because they're the remnant church. They're the only ones that got the source of truth. They're afraid of being deceived by former Adventists, especially former Adventist pastors because they're apostate. They've gone over the edge. Don't listen to those people. So they're afraid of that as well. They're fearful of leaving friends and family in a close-knit community because they will be rejected, right? And again, just like with the Mormons, just like that, a lot of people stay under false teaching because of fear of the relationships. I've seen, I've shared this before, I've seen Christians go to a church that is purposely teaching false teaching. They admit it's false teaching because of friendships. I've seen Christians that who... No, they should leave a church, but they refuse to leave the church. It's full-blown apostate. They don't preach the gospel. They don't preach nothing. I mean, they're not getting anything out of it, except my friends go there. These people are afraid also. Man, if I walk away, I'm going to have to walk. Well, guess what? Welcome to being a Christian. But welcome to the blessing of being a part of a healthy body, right? And let them know that they don't have to be alone. And their fear of compromising the SDA standards, because again, that's what they're told, how you get to heaven. And their fear of the coming judgment and the time of trouble. They don't even know if they're going to make it uh, to heaven or not. Anyway, according to teachings, but man, now you're trying to tell me that if I risk all this, I could be going into, you know, this time of tribulation and I'm doomed. And all. So you understand who you're dealing with here. And you think, well, why are they resistance? Why is it taking so long? How come they don't want? They're scared to death. And that's sad, but that's a telltale sign that, guess what? Somebody is involved in a cult. That's what cults do. That's what cult leaders enforce. Absolute obedience under the threat of eternal penalty, immediate penalty, etc., etc. So we need to reach out to them in love, trust, pray that the Spirit of God will lead them to Christ as we just simply share the good news. It ain't by your works. It's only by the work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. 
And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven. In that state, you're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you. But you must receive that by faith today. 
The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.